Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Oh, hello and happy Monday, everyone. I am Deanna Hayes, the chair of Ogletree's Multi-State Practice Group, and we are welcoming everyone back to the second episode of Multi-State Mondays, our bi-monthly podcast series where we focus on multi-state employment law compliance. We hope that you enjoyed our first episode where we discussed multi-state compliance as a whole and some of the issues and challenges that employers might want to consider when reviewing their employee handbook. And I was joined in that episode by Susan Gorey, and Susan is back today. Say hello, Susan. Hello, everybody. I hope you're excited with today's episode. I know that Deanna and I are very excited. Thanks, Susan. And we're also joined by one of our favorite colleagues, Tay Phillips, who is a co-chair of the drug testing practice group at Ogletree. And Tay is going to shed some light on issues surrounding marijuana. We know that can be a tricky issue for employers, and it's often a hot topic. So I'll let Tay introduce himself. Yeah, thanks. So as Deanna said, so my name is Tay Phillips. I am in Birmingham, Alabama. I am the co-chair along with Mike Clarkson in our Boston office um, for the firm's drug testing practice group. And honestly, most of the work that the drug testing practice group has been doing lately is centered around the topic of marijuana in the workplace, because obviously drug testing and marijuana, those two things are somewhat joined at the hip, although marijuana in the workplace is much, much broader than just drug testing, as we'll talk about some today. Well, great. Thank you, Tay, for that. And I think that Deanna and I are excited to begin this by appropriately naming in honor of Earth Day next week, this episode, Multi-State Monday, Marijuana Compliance, Don't Blow It. That actually raises one of our first questions of, tell us about medical marijuana versus recreational marijuana, and does it matter in the workplace? So that's a good question, Susan. And it's so funny, every time I hear the word medical marijuana and every time I hear the word recreational marijuana, because there really is no fundamental difference, right? I tell clients all the time that there are certain states that have legalized marijuana only for medical purposes. There are some states that have legalized marijuana for both medical and non-medical purposes, i.e. recreational. But at the end of the day, it's all the same weed, right? So there's not really a true difference between air quotes medical marijuana or air quotes non-medical marijuana. It's all marijuana. It's just the purpose in which you're using it for. And that is, you know, something that makes it really hard on on employers, not only in dealing with this issue in the workplace, but also just conceptually understanding it. Because at the end of the day, you know, the the pot you're buying from your neighborhood pot dealer is not really any different than the stuff that's sold at a medical dispensary. So how many states are there that permit medical marijuana? As of today, April the 10th, there are 38 states plus D.C. 
that have legalized for medical purposes. Now, as y'all know, we're in the middle of state legislative sessions. That number could creep up a little higher um, in the next couple of months. But as of now, it's 38 plus D.C. I mean, Deanna, feel free to jump in here because I know Deanna and I, a lot of times we do our practice focuses on policies for employers. What are some of the common issues that arise for employers, especially with regard to the multi-state employers? Well, I think key issue number one, and you just hit on the absolute most difficult part of this topic in general, Susan, which is the multi-state aspect. So, you know, like I said, 38 states plus D.C., if you turn around in five, six, seven years, it'll be all 50 states. And the marijuana laws, they vary very much from state to state. And by way of example, the Alabama medical marijuana law is drastically different than the California medical marijuana law or the New Jersey medical marijuana law and all points in between. And so challenge number one that I see employers dealing with all the time is how to manage this within a very complicated framework of state laws. As you all know, helping to handle all of our clients' multi-state issues, it's hard enough to comply with legal issues in general, much less when you have a patchwork of different laws and frameworks from state to state. So that is far and away the most difficult issue that I see employers dealing with is how to handle this somewhat consistently while also complying with all the various state laws. So, Tay, often what we find is some employers that are in multiple states might want to consider having a more generic policy when it comes to drug testing or marijuana use in the main handbook and then address those state law differences in an addendum for that state. Is that something that you've seen in your practice when it comes to marijuana specifically? Yes, it is with respect to state drug testing laws. So I'm more of a proponent of more high level generic state drug test policies in general, and particularly in a master handbook, and then getting more granular on state specific drug testing issues in addenda. But when it comes to marijuana, I am actually a proponent of very, very high level, very self-serving, and honestly, somewhat ambiguous employee facing policies for clients as it pertains to marijuana. In other words, maybe just some generic language saying, you know, we prohibit drug use, we prohibit drug possession, we prohibit folks from being impaired in the workplace, period. And the reason for that is because I think that when it comes to marijuana, it's so complicated, it's so convoluted. There are state law protections under marijuana laws themselves. There are disability protections under various state laws. There's off-duty conduct protections under state laws that I am more of a proponent of not including those sorts of things in policies that employees see, because I think that we are better off just knowing what the different risks are internally when it comes to marijuana, knowing what the different potential legal claims are with respect to marijuana. Interesting. And you had mentioned that 38 states plus D.C. have legalized medical marijuana. So in those states, even though there may be some protections and some of the medical marijuana users, there's not necessarily a requirement to detail all of that within a policy itself. Is that correct? 
That's right. Not a requirement. Now, you know, it's sort of a business decision, right? Like I'm, I am more in favor of not talking about it in policies because I don't want to necessarily raise the eyebrows of an unsuspecting reader. But on the other hand, some clients, and this is fine too, particularly if it meets the business centric needs, some clients want to talk about marijuana in policies, whether it be as a deterrent factor or whether it be because they just feel the need to be very transparent and candid with employees. Sometimes clients don't test at all for marijuana and they want to make that very clear and known for recruiting and retention purposes. And so they want to put it in the handbook for that reason. But I guess the takeaway for anyone who's listening is you do have a lot more flexibility to either include or not include discussion about marijuana in your employee facing policies. It's really just up to you. That discretion is really important. And you mentioned something else that's a question that I often get from clients regarding removing marijuana from the drug testing panel. And, you know, at least in the research that I've done for Florida and, and some other states, there isn't a requirement specifically to test for marijuana itself. So employers can certainly do that without running afoul of the law here in Florida. Is, is that consistent with other states in your understanding? Yeah. So as long as we're talking about non-DOT regulated folks or other folks that are you know, somewhat governed by federal regulations like FAA pilots or something like that, there's no requirement that you test for anything, much less marijuana. So we see lots of non-DOT regulated clients who either have removed marijuana from all of their testing panels altogether or maybe have selectively removed marijuana from some of their panels. For example, maybe they take it out of pre-employment testing panels, but they leave it in for post-employment testing panels. And again, whatever is best for the business. And, you know, I think every client is different and there may be dozens of factors going into the decision about whether to include or not include marijuana as part of testing panels. But again, maybe refreshing to hear for clients is they really do have a lot more flexibility to make that decision than they may think. So that's a very long answer to a short question. But no, there is no requirement outside of DOT regulated positions or something similar to test anyone at all for marijuana. So it's perfectly fine if you want to take it out. Well, that raises a question that I know many people want to know, which is, so does that mean people can use marijuana or pop a gummy before they come to work to help their anxiety? And does it matter if they, like you and I um, recognized at the beginning of the podcast for the title, does it matter if they inhale it, smoke it, brownie, lollipop? You know, what does that look like with permitted employee behavior? That touches on the single most problematic issue when it comes to marijuana in the workplace. And look, I think most people, they probably don't care what their employees do outside of work. They don't really care what people do on the weekends or at their house or whatever. I think for the most part, people do not want people to be impaired at work. But that presents the big problem, which is that there is no scientific way or medically accepted way to establish or measure whether someone is or is not impaired with just a yes, no drug test. 
Mm-hmm. And so that challenge and concern and issue sort of hovers around this topic in general. And so to take a step back, Susan, no, there is no marijuana legalization law. There is no employment law that encourages or allows people to be impaired in the workplace. Um, nor will there ever be, it probably, in my opinion. The problem is, is how can you establish whether someone is or is not impaired? And again, in the absence of a yes, no drug test that can measure impairment or can establish impairment, that becomes the most difficult issue for employers to deal with um, is the inability to actually measure impairment. The question of, well, what are what about somebody that pops a gummy before work? What about somebody that smokes on the weekends? What about somebody that, you know, is theoretically not impaired by marijuana in the workplace? That becomes the hardest issue to police because there's no test to measure impairment, at least from a traditional drug testing standpoint. So that reality, I think, is something that and unless and until there is ever a test that could reliably measure impairment, that's going to be the problem and the issue. Well, what if I'm a medical cardholder? Then what? Don't I have job protection? So it, de- it depends on the state and it depends on the legal framework in a particular state. The short answer is if you are a medical cardholder, you do have at least, and that's very important, at least disability protections under state law and maybe under the federal ADA. So going back, all 38 plus DC, all 40-ish states that have medical marijuana laws, all of those individuals in all of those states theoretically are disabled and therefore theoretically fall under the protection of disability discrimination laws. So yes, Susan, every one of those people who's a medical cardholder is at least protected under disability laws. Now, not every state that has a medical law, but about half of them also have separate protections within the medical marijuana laws themselves that protects medical cardholders and employment. In other words, statutory employment protections for medical cardholders within the medical marijuana laws themselves. So maybe stated another way, of the 40 or so states, about 20 of them have medical laws that actually contain employment protection language. And examples of that would be a lot of the states in the Northeast, like New Jersey, Connecticut, Delaware, Rhode Island, um, Arizona, Minnesota, Oklahoma, a few others. And then all 40 of those states plus D.C. would have separate but related disability protections. So, again, long answer to a short question, Susan. But yes, if you're a medical cardholder, you have some type of direct or indirect protections. So if I am if I go to my doctor here in Indiana and say, hey, I have this medical condition and I know from my friend Deanna who lives in Pennsylvania And she said that I could, you know, eat these gummies and I'll be much better. And she has a medical card holder. Can you give me a prescription for marijuana? And if Indiana happened to pass it, what would happen? 
Does that mean that I'm not protected and that Deanna is in the workplace if we worked for the same employer? So that's that's a question that, do y'all remember the very first day of law school when we learned about the Erie Doctrine? That probably has some impact on this. I've forgotten Erie and have not thought about it for the last 17 years. But I tell clients that when we're thinking about state employment law protections and employment law issues with marijuana, state of employment would be the governing state law that I would utilize. So if you are, and let's just pretend for a minute that Indiana has a medical marijuana law, it doesn't yet. If you were employed in Indiana, but lived in Pennsylvania, then I think that Indiana state law would govern. If you were employed in Pennsylvania and you lived in Indiana, then I think Pennsylvania law would govern as it pertains to employment claims and employment issues. Well, if Deanna lived in Pennsylvania, she's protected. I'm not. I would say that's not fair. Again, pretending for a moment that Indiana has a medical law, then you would be protected in Indiana under just state disability law protections and or maybe the ADA. Deanna would be protected under Pennsylvania disability law protections and the Pennsylvania medical marijuana law, which contains some statutory employment protection language. Now, pretending for a set or not pretending, because this is the reality under the current framework where medical marijuana is legal in Pennsylvania and is not legal in Indiana. If you had a Pennsylvania medical marijuana card, but you were working in Indiana, then no, I don't think you would have protections in Indiana because there is no employment protection direct or indirect within the state of Indiana currently. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And it also, I would imagine, is giving gray hairs to a lot of HR personnel that might be listening to this podcast. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think that, I mean, that is one of about 15 different things that give gray hairs to HR people that might be listening the state of employment versus state of residency nuance, the disability law protections, which is something that I oftentimes talk to HR people or in-house lawyers, and they haven't even thought about that aspect. I think that there are lots of other things that keep people up at night, right? Like, is our workplace safe? Is, is this a issue that we can even manage because we don't know whether or not people are or are not impaired? Um, do we even care about marijuana, right? Like there's, there's, and there's probably 10 more, 12 more different things that I talk to clients about all the time that keeps them up at night on this topic. Um, because it is very complicated. It's very complicated in general. And then it's also very broad in its reach. You know, if you were to think about the phrase marijuana in the workplace as an umbrella, you know, there's like a dozen different people under that umbrella. So it's very, very convoluted, very complicated. I agree. And Tay, as someone who um, whose practice includes defense of OSHA inspections for employers, and from what I understand, when we talk about protections for medical marijuana users or even potentially recreational in other states, uh, it's my general understanding, and certainly correct me because you're the expert in this area, 
the one of those protections might be a positive test result is not enough in and of itself to justify disciplinary action against an employee, and you might have to have some type of objective evidence that the person was impaired while at work. So the test result itself is not enough, uh, which kind of leads me into a discussion that I often have with clients that do have those safety concerns, but what is something they can do or that they might want to think about doing to make the workplace safer? And certainly reasonable suspicion training for supervisors and those that are on the front line with employees might be something you want to consider because that way signs of impairment could be spotted sooner, hopefully before an accident were to occur. Yeah. So everything you said is just true uh, or everything you just said is true. And yes, I think that the key is trying to create that objective evidence or, or, you know, maybe another way of saying it is create that inference and create that presumption. You have to create a narrative and a presumption of impairment, understanding that you're not establishing impairment, but you're just creating very, very strong, you know, A plus B must equal C type evidence of impairment. And so I think that the ace in the hole that you can always have as an employer is the following narrative. And that is, you know, we saw so-and-so in the workplace. He was stumbling around. He was talking incoherently. He was, I don't know, he had his a, a phone with him that he was blasting the Grateful Dead on or something in the background. So <laughs> there was evidence of impairment. And so we documented that impairment. We sent that person instantaneously or contemporaneously with the observation of impairment. We sent him for a reasonable suspicion drug test. Test was positive. And y'all can't see me, but I'm using air quotes. Therefore, confirming our suspicion of impairment. And based upon that confirmed suspicion of impairment, we are terminating employment or taking some sort of adverse employment action. And that is the narrative that every client needs to try and create if they want to create the best narrative or the best facts possible to handle a marijuana issue. Because, look, even though that doesn't establish that the person was impaired and doesn't definitively mean that the person was impaired, you've created such a strong inference and presumption of impairment that it's very, very powerful evidence if you ever had to defend a legal claim. And then maybe more importantly, it serves to dissuade a legal claim from being filed to begin with because, you know, look, I don't think a lot of plaintiffs lawyers would want to try and fight that battle of proving a negative, right? So even though we can't establish that the person was impaired, they can't necessarily establish that the person wasn't impaired. And so that is the narrative that you're trying to create if you're trying to create the best facts possible if you're an employer. And so going back to what you said, yes, I think that creating a reasonable suspicion drug test checklist is very important. I think that training managers and supervisors on reasonable suspicion testing is very important. And that training, I think, should entail, you know, how to spot impairment, which is not rocket science, right? But how to spot impairment, but more importantly, what to do if and when you spot impairment. And that, I think, can help you to 
not only A, like I said, defend legal claims, B, dissuade claims from being filed to begin with, but also C, to help sleep a little bit easier at night, knowing that you've done all you can to keep the workplace safe. And again, does that mean that the person was or was not impaired? No, but it does create that good narrative of impairment. And then the last thing I would say, going back to what you were saying with OSHA, you know, even though OSHA has never chimed in on marijuana, and even though there is not necessarily a violation of any sort of OSHA general duty clause requirements or anything else associated with, you know, someone who may be tested positive on a pre-employment marijuana test or something like that. Certainly OSHA would be very unhappy if you're allowing individuals to be impaired in the workplace. And so by doing this good housekeeping with your managers and supervisors, not only are you inherently keeping the workplace safe, you're also doing your duties to comply with OSHA's requirements as well. So I think there's lots of benefits to doing that. And we've really been focusing, I mean, the issues like you mentioned earlier are really the same um, when it comes to medical versus recreational. Like, can you just give us an overview of the status of legalized use of recreational marijuana across the country? Again, this, this number tends to change, but as of now, like I said, there's 22 states plus DC that have legalized marijuana for recreational purposes. Now, the good news for clients is you do generally have more flexibility when dealing with um, recreational marijuana users than you do with medical card holders. There are only a, a small handful of states that have statutory protections for recreational marijuana users. New Jersey is the big one, but also Connecticut. Montana has some protections for recreational users. Now, there are are more exceptions to those protections in Connecticut and Montana, none for New Jersey, but there's a very small handful of states with statutory protections. Now, the big concern that we've started to see with recreational users is the rise in lawful off-duty conduct type protections. In other words, protections for individuals who are engaging in, again, air quotes, lawful off-duty use of marijuana. So New York was the first big one where that became an issue a couple of years ago. But then California has a similar off-duty conduct type protection law that's going into effect on January 1 of 2024. And so I guess the, the, the takeaway is that there are fewer states with recreational marijuana. There are much, much, much fewer landmines and potential protections for recreational users than with medical card holders. But just like um, everything else, there tends to be a little bit of a follow the leader type mentality when it comes to marijuana. And so the New Yorks, the Californias of the world who have started to create these off-duty conduct protections for recreational users, I think that will be something that we'll start to see more of as the years go by. Well, Tay, um, I know we're getting close here to um, being out of time, but I have two questions with kind of related, quote, products. One would be, if I'm in Colorado, I can apparently use, legally, psychedelic mushrooms. And then the other one is, what about cannabis oil or CBD? Because that you can buy in a lot of the gas stations. So how do those relate and do they have any protections? For now, 
the psychedelic mushrooms or any of those psychedelic type things. There's no employment protections within those psychedelics type statutes. So it's very, it's very different than the marijuana laws. And then there are not those inherent disability concerns with the psychedelics that there is with medical marijuana. Now, when it comes to CBD and, you know, it's kind of funny with the widespread legalization of marijuana, it's almost like CBD will almost be old news pretty soon. Two things. And again, I am not a doctor, but, but I did have a doctor one time actually tell me this. So with CBD, it's very important to remember that theoretically you should not be testing positive on a drug test if you are only using air quotes legal CBD products. So legal CBD products from state to state, those are supposed to be products that have a very, very low amount of THC in it. Such a low amount that it should not trigger a positive marijuana test. Mm. Now, you just said something very important, Susan, which is the stuff you buy down at the gas station. Remember that CBD is not regulated by the FDA. By the way, medical marijuana is not regulated by the FDA either, but CBD is not FDA regulated. And so as a result, there's really no telling what's in the CBD, right? And so maybe it has the requisite low level of THC. Maybe it has more THC. And so the takeaway is, is that you never really know what's in CBD, but if you test positive on a drug test, then it usually and should mean that either A, you're smoking pot and you're not in CBD, right. B, you've gotten some CBD with a higher THC level than it should have, which means it's an illegal product to begin with, or C, honestly, somebody's just lying and they say that they use CBD um, <laughs> when actually they were just smoking weed, right? So many issues. This has been great information. So thank you so much, Tay, again, for joining us. We appreciate your time and we appreciate everyone joining us. And we hope you will tune in to the next episode of Mississippi State Monday. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.